welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Grace or Grit, a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as the bishop at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. Along with me today is my co-host, Patrick Reed. He is a pre-filled missionary or apostle or whatever title you want to use there with ABWE <laughs> on deputation. He's trying to get to the Gambia in Africa, and he also serves as part of the bishopric in Herlock. Patrick is maybe the grit, grit to my grace. <laughs> Hopefully, sometimes it's the other way around. I hope I'm not a complete pansy and pushover. Uh, but anyway, how are you today, Patrick? I'm good. How's everybody doing? Well, we've just gotten news at the recording of this podcast that uh, Pharaoh is willing to to let his people go. Uh, <laughs> so here in Maryland, uh, Governor Hogan gave an announcement yesterday that uh, phase one of the opening of Maryland from the COVID pandemic can begin Friday at 5 p.m. So I know the one time I'm not leaving the house is Friday at 5 p.m. <laughs> I'm sure the streets will be full and uh, everybody will be just driving around going somewhere. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> and then joining us today for our discussion is a gentleman who serves uh, as a bishop over in Glen Burnie, Maryland, Pastor Jared Mitchell. Uh, Jared, tell us how you're doing and a little bit about yourself and what you're doing these days. Well, thank you, Brother David. It's good to be here and uh, doing well. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to be on the show today or not, because past two months, I've just been preaching to empty pews. <laughs> that may make you the most qualified of all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, past two months have been uh, definitely, uh, hopefully a once in a lifetime experience, but it seems like I divide my time between the normal pastoral stuff that continues to go on even in a pandemic and uh, then trying to shop and find flour and yeast and go to different grocery stores to do that. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Pastor Jared um, and I went to the same school, Pensacola Christian College, but we didn't know each other um, through that experience. What year did you graduate? 2000, uh, 2004. Okay, so I'm a 96 grad, so I'm the grandpa in the group here. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, but he pastors there at Temple Baptist Church, and we uh, met through the Delmarva Baptist Fellowship, which is uh, a fellowship of independent Baptist churches and general association of regular Baptist churches, and uh, we have shared many experiences together through the DBF, and I treasure his friendship and his influence. We've actually traded pulpits before where he preached at Grace and I preached at Temple. That's right. Yeah, that was a fun thing to do. And no I doubt. thank you for the kind words. I appreciate your friendship as well. Yeah. And he's a, he's a father of a, of a tribe. How many kids you got now? Uh, seven. Seven. So I come from a family of eight kids. So I have a great appreciation uh, <laughs> for what you've got going on there. Uh, today's topic of discussion is entitled Preacher or Friend. And hopefully the listeners and even you two gentlemen would say, well, it's both. Uh, but my question is, is it both? Can it be both? Really, um, the discussion is about the role of the pastor. 
and really kind of juxtapositioning preaching, teaching, praying ministry versus personal relational ministry. Uh, because in my experience, I have found those two things to be at odds quite often. And I have found in my experience that there's a lot of tension in ministry between those two responsibilities and opportunities. So my dilemma might be personality based, or at least in part, uh, a result of my personality, certainly a result of the fall. If, if I wasn't uh, you know, a child of Adam and, and cursed, I wouldn't struggle with God's instructions or commands. Um, I, I might also be a victim, if I could say it that way, of the methods that I'm familiar with. Sure, Just yeah. what I've grown up seeing. And, you know, a lot of my ministry is simply me imitating people that I respect and that, uh, that I, I'm familiar with their ways. So that might be part of my issue. Uh, I think biblic, biblical examples both provide a lot of warnings to us, some, some bad examples, and, and some examples that seem so incredibly uh, out of this world, like Paul, that I'm like, how could I ever achieve that level uh, of, of success and balance in ministry? I mean, his, his preaching ministry, teaching ministry, and his personal relationships, it just seems like he was impeccable. Um, and so there are biblical examples. And then I think also with my dilemma, I have the question of gifting because, you know, I took a spiritual gifts test one time and did not score as a pastor <laughs> at all. My wife did, <laughs> but I didn't, um, you know, so shepherding, uh, I don't know if I even have that gift as far as um, the common definition of, of shepherding work or pastoral work. Um, so, that's a strange thing for me to say. Maybe we can unpack that a little bit as we, as we go along here. But I, I wonder how much of it is simply my, my lack of wisdom or discretion or discipline. I really don't know. And I don't mean to just barf all over the podcast, but uh, it's a very real struggle for me. And uh, I, I also you know, wonder what is the impact that that struggle on my people, on the people that God's called me to pastor. Um, so, uh, hopefully we can, you know, talk about this and find some, uh, wisdom from the scripture and from our mutual experiences, uh, as we have followed the Holy Spirit and the calling that he's placed upon us. So I think, uh, a good place to begin would be talk would be to talk about, um, the, the, on a, on a light side, the titles that are applied to a pastor, of course, being a pastor is not a, shouldn't be about the title. It certainly is about the office or the uh, privilege to uh, exercise um, the calling that God's placed upon us in a particular place. But sometimes that's simply reflected. Our bias or our our actions are reflected in the titles that we use. Um, so, what what titles have you used for your pastors, and what title is typically used for you, Jared? Uh, here at Temple Baptist Church, if, if someone's going to refer to me at, by a title, by habit, they'll say pastor, Pastor Jared, or some might say Pastor Mitchell or whatever. Now, where I grew up at in uh, Southern Illinois, everyone was brother, uh, yes. even pastor. Yes, exactly the same. When I was yeah. ordained into ministry, and I'm embarrassed about it now because it was a matter of pride, 
but I went and bought a nameplate that said brother Dave Talley, you know, and yeah, I thought yeah. that was, that was, I had graduated, you know, and it was a very vain thing, but yes, the term brother, which is a biblical term. And so is the term pastor. Sure. Um, Patrick, what's your experience there? What do people usually call you and what have you called those who are um, in the position of, of the Bishop? Well, I think it's interesting because, uh, People never seem to know what to call missionaries. They're kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get all sorts of names. You know, you get brother. Sometimes you get pastor. Every now and again, I get reverend. Um, sometimes it's just missionary read, you know. So yeah. uh, I think people are always like, what exactly is a missionary? It's a little, it's kind of in between all those things, you know. Haven't gotten apostle yet, but, uh, you know, I guess if we were in a different denomination, I might get that more often. That's right. <laughs> So, and I don't want our listeners to, to, uh, you know, stop tracking with us already because you know, they can say, well, this is stupid. This is vain. Uh, we're going into something deeper. This is simply a, a, a paint, a, a coat of paint on an issue that reveals something else because in the scriptures, you know, you have the term elder, right? Didn't Paul tell one of his apprentices to ordain elders in all the churches. And he was clearly talking about, uh, pastors, at least in my estimation, he was. The term minister, of course, is a biblical term. It simply means servant. And uh, I am a servant in the gospel ministry. Um, I'm in service to the gospel of of Jesus Christ. Bishop is a biblical term. Overseer, uh, shepherd or under shepherd, teacher. And even terms like evangelist, which might be the best term for what Patrick is doing. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Or modern terms, missionary, certainly apostle. All these are terms that represent a function. And so I think that's why they're worth considering. And it it shouldn't, of course, it shouldn't be about, you know, uh, prestige. It shouldn't be about uh, the laity being low and the clergy being high. That's something that God despises. In fact, the scripture says we're supposed to be submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. And I believe that's across the board in the body of Christ. So, but it, it the, the dilemma does uh, reveal something of the issue that, um, that, I, that I particularly wrestle with. I remember when I was called as the pastor of Grace Baptist Church, they asked me plainly, because I was a very young man. I was 30, I think. Um, and they asked me, what do you want us to call you? And I don't remember my answer exactly. Uh, I hope I said, David will be fine. Uh, Jesus was good for Jesus, and Paul was Paul good for Paul, so David's probably good for me. I hope that's what I said. I do know that I had just read a book um, where I think Tim Keller was the author, Lessons from a Sheepdog um, is, is perhaps the title. And I just read that, and I said, well, probably the best title for me would be Sheepdog. And I had a lady who actually produced a pen that said, Top Chief Do- Sheepdog. <laughs> so, but, uh, it never caught on. So they haven't called me the sheepdog, but uh, that would probably be an appropriate term. But this, uh, this issue of names or titles or terms is significant. And, and as we jump into the discussion here, let me ask you this and pardon me for dominating the conversation. I will shut up at some point. Uh, (laughs) In the old Testament, you have, you have seers. I think that's spelled S E E R. Those who see, those who see what God is revealing. You have prophets, of course, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have priests. And, of course, in the New Testament, we are all priests of God. And, of course, you had elders in the Old Testament. There are a lot of other 
spiritual leadership positions and, and roles in the Old Testament. And I want to ask you a question. Which one of those positions do you believe is an extension into the New Testament? In other words, what, what does your ministry, Patrick and Jared, what does it reflect from those Old Testament positions? Is it a combination or are they simply unrelated? What do you think about that? That's a great question. Um, certainly the Old Testament leaders and so forth prophets are examples for us to learn from. As I've gotten, I guess, more established in, in like a dispensational viewpoint and knowing I'm in the New Testament and so forth, it's kind of out of fear sometimes. I've been kind of careful to uh, take things from Elijah's life and immediately apply them to mine as a pastor or just kind of as a fear that, you know, someone would think that I'm claiming to be a prophet for today, if you know what I mean. And so I've avoided like too much overlap that way. And I may have erred on the, you know, side of caution a little bit too much on that. Um, And I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn from Old Testament um, examples, but I guess I feel a whole lot more comfortable when, whenever Paul is talking to Timothy, because then I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's me, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I would agree with Jared a lot. I think that tends to be where I take, I fall in my position many times. Um, I, I think there is some overlap, uh, but I think um, I'm always careful to separate it just so that I don't misapply something really out of my own caution, not that it's not necessarily true, but just because I might mess up how I should apply it. And so... I tend to focus when it comes to those things just more on the New Testament so I don't, you know, misapply something or, or create a role that doesn't exist or shouldn't exist anymore, um, even though they're, they're certainly overlapping. God didn't, you know, just, you know, completely change everything. There's certainly things and lessons that we need to learn from what happened in the Old Testament, and, you know, how he used the prophets and how he used seers and things like that. Yeah. Uh, of course, all of us believe that revelation has has ceased, that the canon is closed, and so none of us really would uh, aspire to be modern-day prophets getting new revelations from God. We take the truth that we know from the Scriptures, and we, we don't foretell the future, but we foretell the Word of God. Uh, sure, I'm sure there's yeah. continuity in our perspective here, but the term pastor is an Old Testament term, as you both know. Jeremiah 3.15, God promised Israel, I will give you pastors according to mine heart that shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So certainly there's a a concept of a shepherding leader uh, in the Old Testament. And it it might have included all of these positions that we're talking about, and maybe some who didn't even hold those positions. They were simply, you know, blessed by God with understanding and with wisdom and with responsibility and with influence and that people looked to these individuals as their spiritual mentors and as their, you know, lesson givers for life. And I don't think there's clarity there either. I'm sure there's some people who have dogmatic stands there, but of course we get to the new Testament. We have, you know, Jesus functioning as a pastor, right? I mean, sure. He he was definitely doing things that we aspire to do as we follow him, you know, teaching and preaching and discipling and, you know, giving the gospel and uh, helping people to grow in grace. And they were baptizing, not him, but his disciples are baptizing believers. So Jesus, you know, is the uh, initial pastor of the church and certainly the constant head of the church. We have the apostles in Acts chapter six. It gets kind of 
fuzzy there, their role as apostles and pastors in Jerusalem. We have those who were apprentices of the apostles, Timothy, Titus, some other guys, even Paul at a time, or Barnabas could have been considered, you know, apprentices at least for a period of time. We have historical examples and current examples. So when we get to the New Testament, that's where the meat of this discussion is. What is the role of the pastor? And I don't want to skew the discussion too much. So why don't both of you just take a turn and kind of describe in your own words, uh, when God calls a man to pastor, what is he calling him to be and to do? Let me, uh, let me take that and I'm going to answer it a little bit indirectly. Um, But I think one of the, you talked about whether a pastor should be a friend or whether a pastor should be a teacher or, or where, what is the in-between or where's that fall? And I think one of the problems we're having, at least in the American church, is our consumeristic culture that we've created. And um, basically what I mean by that is that we're expecting, many times churches expect the pastor because they're paid, you know, and we have paid pastors that they're, you know, paid to take care of the members, right? And so because you're paid, that's your job. You should be taking care of us. But I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be like this. You know, Jesus gave us, as you brought up, a good example of discipling 12 people very intimately, right? So if Jesus could only focus on 12 people primarily, how do we expect pastors to focus on hundreds or maybe thousands of people in a church? Amen. Park right there, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, yes, he did preach to crowds, and I believe, you know, pastors should preach to the crowd or to the, you know, the the congregation. But day to day, he focused on 12 people. 12 people who would then become leaders in the faith, right? And I think this would be a wise model for us to follow. You know, if every 10 or 12 people had someone of uh, strong faith to walk with them through life, I don't think we'd be seeing such a problem. You know, for example, in a large church, it might look like, you know, you have the senior pastor who shepherds 12 leaders in the church who in turn then shepherd 12 more people and so on down the line to the last members of the church. And I'm not even sure these should be deacons, but I guess they could be deacons. Um, But maybe elders or pastors or those gifted to teach, maybe down to the lowest level, depending on the size of the church, the final group might be small group leaders or something that we talk about. I mean, that's something in our current models that a lot of churches have. But I think in general, they need to be people of character and have a, a reasonable knowledge of Scripture. And so that's why I think it seems kind of hard to me to have deacons necessarily fulfill this role, because if they're I think if you look in Acts six, they were primarily their main focus was to take care of the physical needs of people um, and not necessarily to be teachers of, of Scripture or uh, of of those types of things as the pastors or elders or whatever bishops or whatever title you want to give them are. And so I think our American culture, we're like, well, we have this pastor and he's just supposed to, because we pay him. And even if we, you know, maybe a large church, you have five pastors, they should be taking care of every single person's need in the church. Um, But I don't think that's necessarily the pastor's role. I, I don't think it's even possible for the one pastor to take care of that many people. And so I think the consumeristic American culture is, to me, that's what's causing one of the major issues. We're not following um, the biblical model Jesus laid out or in the book of Acts, I think. 
And then you're also missing the component of everybody taking care of each other as well. I think a lot of that is lacking in our culture. Um, you know, in biblical times, you had people who were living in communities and the communities were very close as you have in many other parts of the world. In America, we're very individualistic. And so I think what happens is, is people aren't taking care of people. They're not very close with a lot of other people within the church. And so then you have people feeling very needy. They have lots of needs that aren't being met um, because the Bible lays out that, you know, as we saw in Acts, people were not feeling like those were being met. And they were even in a, a community, um, which was far different than ours. So there are just some thoughts to think about on why maybe we're having these issues. I don't know what necessarily the solution is to it, but um, Jared, I don't know what your thoughts are on all this. Well, before Jared jumps in, I got to tell you, I want, I want some answers, not some more cans of worm to, uh, worms opened up. <laughs> because for example, you, you mentioned the deacon issue, which I love and treasure my deacons and I see God's gifts that he has given to them and how they have set me free in certain areas of ministry because I can completely rely on them to watch over that, you know, particular need, whether it be facilities or particular programs or, or even people. But how do you deal Patrick? And I know we can't go too deep into this, but how do you deal with Philip and Stephen? They were clearly deacons, but man, it seems like they immediately were ushered into preaching ministry you know, did they just miss their calling at first? They were actually something else, you know, or was that an expression? Did they get their, their uh, prominence through the, their election as deacons? And then that, you know, God used that to give them um, more of a platform or you don't have to go too deep into that, but how do you see that fitting into what you described as the deacon being a physical reliever? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, just because someone's a deacon doesn't necessarily exclude them from having the gift of teaching, right? And so you might have deacons that can teach as well or can perform dual roles, I guess you would say, as they did. I don't know if that's the case all the time, and I don't think that necessarily means that deacons have to be able to teach because those qualifications aren't in there. And so I think for me, just my perspective is looking at it, is that deacons need to take care of those physical needs, need to, you know, take those things away from the pastor so the pastors are not tied up with that and they're able to, the pastors are able to clearly fulfill what a key part of their, uh, I guess we could say job description is, which is, you know, preaching and teaching. Um, now, and I think praying. if they have the, and praying, right? So I think if they have the bandwidth to uh, deacons to do that, then that would, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that per se. I just think that, uh, they shouldn't be doing that to the exclusion of not meeting those physical needs, if that makes sense. Sure. Sorry about that, Jared. What, what's your perspective of, of the role of a pastor? Well, I, t I tell you what, the, the titles, especially in the New Testament, I think really give us a whole lot of kind of job description there. Mm. And, and it kind of goes back to your original question, like, what did you grow up calling your pastor and things like that? Because it almost shows there what, uh, what that church is feeling or thinking about what the role of a pastor is. <clears throat> oh yeah. We, we, a lot of us called our pastor preacher. We didn't call him pastor. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You got it too. So Southern Illinois, where I grew up at was, even though it's not technically the South, you're still down there by Kentucky and places like that. So it's very much like still like the, the Northern cousin of the Bible belt. You know what I mean? There's a lot of kind of culture that way. So, 
pre I got called preacher a lot uh, when I was pastoring there. Uh, people, I mean, if they said, asked me who I was, they'd say, oh, he's our pastor. But, you know, typically they would be brother, preacher, you know, something like that. Uh, kind of a humorous story to this. Uh, I was ordained at Elizabethtown Baptist Church in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And we were, we were fellowshipping with a, uh, another church in town. It was the first Baptist church. And we would uh, once a year go have service with them and exchange pulpits and they would come to ours vice versa. Well, the first Baptist church in Elizabethtown was predominantly a black church and we were predominantly a white church and we had great fellowship. But the pastor over there at First Baptist Church, his last name was actually Bishop. That was his last name. And uh, he told us a story that was really funny. He said there was one day that he actually had to call the local Catholic parish to talk to the priest there, something to do with maybe uh, pro-life movement in the county or whatever. And uh, Pastor Bishop was just kind of an, inter he was kind of a character anyway, but he called the Catholic Church and said, yeah, this is the bishop. And uh, I'd like to talk to Father so-and-so. <laughs> so, you know, he thought he was getting called on high or something like that. And it just turned out to be Pastor Bishop. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they called him Bishop Bishop. Yeah, they may have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I so, used to have a kid who, he wasn't very familiar with church, and he called me Mr. Pastor. Uh, is that right? <laughs> I thought it was so funny until I heard somebody say Mr. President. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's all right. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah, it does work. Yeah. Well, like those, just the, the three major titles that we use in the New Testament, pastor, bishop, elder, um, pastoring, you know, kind of the idea of feeding the sheep, shepherding them, yes. teaching God's, you know, word and so forth. You have the word bishop being a little bit more of the emphasis on the administrative aspect of a pastor. And elder, I kind of take to mean the spiritual maturity qualifications that are needed that way. Someone that you follow because you see them as they're, they're, they're mature in their faith. Right. And so to me, that kind of helps with some of the qualifications. Uh, but let's just say, even if churches within our Baptist circles, I know it, we don't have continual unity on this or a universal unity, but let's say we had unity on what the qualifications are. They're still going of what a pastor should be. There's still kind of a wide degree of variation on what the, what emphasis a pastor should be doing and what the church's expectations are of yes. him. Yes. And I'd like to ask you this, David. Let's see. I've pastored two churches, the first one being in southern Illinois, small town, rural setting, versus now in Glen Burnie, to me is the city, even though it's not directly in Baltimore, but it's, you know, 60,000 people. And there's really two, two different emphasis and two different expectations of what a pastor should be or should be doing at least. Oh, you find that to be true? Amen to that. And, and I believe the Bible actually allows for that. I, I sure. view the book of Acts more as an example than as a rule book. So you, you sure. have to consider the culture and the needs of the people. Right. So absolutely, uh, urban pastor versus rural, it's going to look different. Uh, but even in the church that I was youth pastor uh, at for six years, some of it must have to do simply with the calling and burden and abilities of the pastor himself. Because sure. in that church, I was under um, Earl Good, I was under Dr. T. Reynolds Hall, and I was under Dave Gamble. And Earl had a, a very different ministry style than, I just forgot his name, T. Reynolds Hall did. Sure. He would, T. Reynolds Hall was in the office five days a week, 
at his desk with his Bible open and a notebook there and a pen in his hand all day except Thursday afternoon. He would go visiting Thursday afternoon. He was a tremendous pastor. The people loved him. He was holy. He was honorable. He was, he was definitely deep in his preaching. But uh, it was his personality. He was a shy person. He was, uh, he was confident, but uh, he was analytical. He had been an engineer for IBM. That was his style. And he was there for like five or six years. Nobody ever complained about his pastoring ministry. Now, he was in his 70s, so maybe that had something to do with it. So age sure, might yeah, be yeah. A, a thing as well. But then Dave Gamble came in. Man, he was never in his office. Again, a <laughs> great man of God, but he was never there. He was always out seeing this person and seeing that person and in the hospital and in this home and in the nursing home. And I'm like, how in the world does this guy know what to preach on Sunday? He never spends any time. Yet. So, so yeah, I think there is a lot of diversity based upon a lot of different factors. Clearly both things are relevant. So I don't know. That's my answer to what you're asking me. What, I, what, I found what, that to be true too. Like the, the emphasis or expectations that, uh, that I had in, in a rural setting versus the expectations here in more of a suburban or to me, it's still the city. Cause I grew up in a town of 2000 people. So Glen Burnie yeah. is like the city, you know? And um, so here it's uh, you know, at my current church, there is more of an emphasis on the administrative side of things. There's more of an emphasis on personal study and, and so forth. And uh uh, it's one of those things where it's almost like if, if I have folks coming by to to see me here, it's almost like they're apologetical. We don't want to take your time up. We know you're busy. You got to study and and so forth. Yeah. Uh, whereas a, in a more rural setting, sometimes if you were to emphasize so much in the office, it can be it can be for folks that need some. You'd be down there with with them, working in the fields with them. You know that kind of stuff. It's difficult to develop relationships when that's not the lifestyle. Uh, people who are farmers and and so yeah. forth and you know and so you got to adjust for your ministry that way i'll well, see that that's why this item made it into my list of things we can discuss on the grace of grit podcast because the number one reason that people have left grace baptist church over the past 15 years has been they have felt neglected that is the is that right? okay. reason and there's just there's such a tension in my in my heart, part of it is flesh, I'm sure. Um, because if I have a list of things to do that's three days long and they're related to programs and preaching and studying and preparation, those kind of things, right. or administration, if I have these things that I know they have to be done, I mean, they know the way around it. They've got to be done by Sunday. Right. And then, you know, this person's in the hospital and this person calls and says, could you go see my uncle? And, and next thing you know, you know, two days have gone by. You've spent around here two or three hours in these people's homes because they, you know, it, it's country folks, so they they're not in a hurry for you to to move sure. along. Yeah. And my flesh begins to get bitter because I'm like, okay, so now I'm going to be up all night long, you know, getting these tasks done because I spent my my day with these people. And like I said, I know part of that is just you know, I don't, I don't, I'm selfish. I don't want to sacrifice too much, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, I recognize that I'm not alone in this struggle. Uh, Dr. Hall talked about his mentor in ministry who actually told his church, you can have my body or you can have my mind, but you can't have both. Well, that's probably an overstatement of the case, but clearly he had that same struggle. 
how much time am I going to spend in preparation for preaching the word and how much time am I going to spend in personal relationships? Um, now, now Patrick in preparation for this discussion, Patrick brought up the ministry of Christ. So maybe you want to speak to that, Patrick, how, you know, he clearly was in the homes of people teaching and discipling, you know, in small groups, you might say, um, do you think that's part of our problem? Do you think I, I just lack the ability to turn the conversations into the scripture on a personal level? You know, what do you think's going on there? I think Jesus is a very good example, but going back to what I said, you know, we have what, uh, uh, maybe 140 members, probably 170 people that at least attend regularly. Well, that would be impossible for you to have that kind of relationship with 170 people. I mean, at the, the level that Jesus did. Especially since I'm not good at it anyway, but go ahead. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it's possible for anybody to really uh, be able to do that because there's just simply not enough time every week to possibly uh, be in everybody's home, you know. Right. Um, so for me, I think, you know, there needs to be a focus on, you know, uh, a smaller number of people. Uh, you know, you could take the example 12 or 10 or, or whatever it may be. Uh, that maybe you have that relationship with, and then they go out and do the same thing. You know, sure. these relationships, they're, you know, discipling people. I think everybody should be discipling at least somebody. Um, and I don't think that's happening in our churches to any great degree. I think everybody relies on the pastor to do all the teaching and there's nobody doing one-on-one -on -one or group discipleship with other people. They're just like, well, we pay a pastor to do all those things. That That's, I don't think that's how uh, things worked in the early church. And I don't think the early church, like you said, it has to be done that way. Um, but I think the reason you're, we're having all these issues, you know, I don't think this is an uncommon issue to just Grace Baptist Church. I think this happens in a lot of churches where people feel neglected. It's because, you know, they don't have any intimate relationships with other people in the church. They don't have someone discipling some, them. They don't have someone walking through life with them. Um, a spiritual leader in their life. And so they're relying on this paid pastor who has 150 or 200 or a thousand other people. Uh, and they want that person to be, you know, the one who does that for them. And that to me is not a model that's ever going to work. And so right. we have to put something in place, I think, in order to meet those needs uh, that clearly we can see folks have. And, um, there needs to be people within the church that are stepping up and doing this, whether it's deacons, whether it's just other leaders within the church. Um, I think this needs to be happening. And it's a failure within all the local churches that this isn't occurring on a more frequent basis because, and I, I think there's lots of reasons, but I think a lot of it has to do with everybody's so busy. Everybody's so focused on other things. Uh, they're not committed to the church. They're not committed to, you know, they're not committed to their faith. And they just kind of add it on, you know, it becomes an add on in their life. And it's like, well, that's what we do on Sunday. And then the rest of the, day of the week, I need to make a bunch of money so I can have all the things that I want to have. And um, it's not a lifestyle, at least in many, many American churches. It's not a lifestyle for the, the majority of their members. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the core of the problem. Sure. And definitely we don't want to make our members feel like, you know, they're annoying us or that we don't want to be with them. I love my people. And when I spend, you know, I used to spend three and a half hours talking to Percy Dean when he was still around every time I'd go to see him. Well, 
I enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, I really did. Once I got there, I loved the man and, and we had great times together, but I still left there going, Oh man, <laughs> now I've got this to do, you know? So it was such a, a struggle, especially since I, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, pastors who are, or, or leaders, spiritual leaders who are hirelings, right. They're just in it for the money. And, uh, or those who, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame. You know, it's all about them. Um, you know, or climbing some kind of ladder of success. And I mean, I don't want to have any part of any of that, of course. Um, and and I, here's another struggle. I look back to when I was a child and I can remember the two times my pastor came to visit me. Now I had no expectations of him coming to visit me because I've considered myself to be a little, a small fry, right? A little bitty cookie in the bottom of the jar or a crumb. And I considered him to be God's man he had bigger and better things to do than to deal with me. I didn't verbalize that, but that was my spirit. So when he came to our house to visit us and he didn't spend 10 minutes there, probably he just came to, we had just started attending a church there and he just came to get to know us a little bit and, you know, introduce himself. We lived like 40 miles from the church. So no wonder he didn't stay too long, but there was such a shock that the pastor had come to my house, right? Even though my dad was a pastor, so, but it left an emotional impression on me is my point. And then I was in the hospital with uh, a concussion one time and he came and I can still remember him standing at the foot of my bed and, and squeezing my foot as he talked to me. And I didn't worship my pastor. I mean, that's not it, but it left such an emotional impression on me. So I had no expectation, great gratitude. And yet the thing that actually impacted my life was not those visits. It was his preaching. I mean, he preached the truth. This is the scripture. And he explained it and said, this is what you better do about it. And so I know there's a balance, but there's these, you know, two, that, that total amount of my 19 years of knowing him, that total amount of time spent in personal conversation with me, plus other situations might've been 25 or 30 minutes. Right. And yet it had an impact on me. I recognize there is a power and a place for it just by experience. I recognize that. Um, but I still struggle with balance. And Patrick, your point is, is well taken. And part of the issue there is just a lack of organization, perhaps uh, a lack of priorities on a daily basis. There are people who I interact with on a regular basis, but they're not necessarily influential people. They're not necessarily uh, passing that along. Does that make sense? So it's like, I'm, it's almost like I'm pastoring a dozen people, who aren't pastoring anyone else rather than pastoring a dozen people who are pastoring someone else. So it, you know, it might simply be, be a matter of me purposefully and intentionally investing my time. If I could say it this way in the right people, and I'm not talking about value. I'm just <clears throat> talking about the hierarchy of responsibility that God's placed on different people in the church. Yeah. It's, it, you know, the, <clears throat> We sometimes, I think in our churches, like when we go through the ordination process, when we go through the hiring process of a pastor or calling a pastor, the emphasis sometimes can be on the qualifications and then also on the unity of fundamental beliefs. But even if you have unity in those particular areas, you can still have a wide personality difference between the pastor and the church. Uh, there can be a, just a great deal of difference in the expectations or what emphasis the pastor is going to to have. Like, say, for example, David, you mentioned that, uh, you know, 
You have a pastor who is never in the office because his style of ministry is to be out with folks and, and mentoring more one-on-one and so forth. And in some churches, that would be absolutely what they want. Because if he's in the office, that's a sign that he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. And then you have other churches that, and, and I'm not trying to like, just say there's only two categories here. So this is just, please forgive my generalizations. But then there's like, say, for example, if you're never in the office at certain churches, then the view is like, what have you been doing all day? You know, yeah. some of it may also be just uh, what is, you know, talking through, especially if, you know, if I was a pastor that was looking to go to a particular church, which I'm, I'm very grateful to be where I'm at and that's where we're looking to stay. But if I was ever to go through a process like that or try to train someone who or give advice to someone who was going to be looking at going to a church, once you nail down what the qualifications and the fundamental beliefs are, what is the emphasis that they believe a pastor ought to be doing and see if it's a shared perspective. Um, And then also kind of rehearsing those things with the church, going through the book of first Timothy and kind of saying, you know, here's what a pastor not only is supposed to be, but here's what a pastor is supposed to be doing so that the expectation, I think normally what we're talking about is the failure and expectations, failure to meet expectations, whether the expectation is, totally biblical or not, you know? Right. Yeah. I actually like the way you're kind of caricaturing some of these concepts, because if I could do that as well, I know of a pastor who's basically a salesman. Sure. Everybody he talks to, it's like he's their best friend. He's very, very good at it. And people love to be around him. I'm going to caricature him a little bit. If sure. you heard him preach though, he's got one message. Yeah. And yeah. one only. <laughs> and, and he preaches that same message over and over again. I don't doubt that he knows his scripture. I've seen his Bible and I'm like, man, alive, the thing's about worn out and markings on every inch of the page. But when he stands up to preach, it's the same message every time. So that's a caricature where he's very good with people on a one-on-one basis or in small groups or socializing and so forth. But I'm like, man, if I had to listen to that every week, I would, I would sit and cry, you know, if (laughs) if I'm going to hear the same message every week. Yeah. There's another example of a preacher who, also was good with people on a compassion level. I mean, he would be like, you know, at your house every day if you're sick or at the hospital every day if you're in the hospital. And that was his reputation. He was very good at it. And he loved people and he would cry every time he talked to you. I mean, he was just so compassionate. Yeah. I'm going to caricature him again. He was kind of boring. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like he has stuff to say, but I can't stay awake, you know, because he's so bleh. And which to me is a crime. I'm like, the gospel is the most exciting thing. And the Bible is the most important thing that I can ever talk about. It needs to be expressed with, you know, a certain zeal and, and passion and with certain power. So I've overstated those cases, but clearly there's balance that at least I want in my ministry. But here I am almost on, I think I'm on year 20 or 21. I can't even remember. I can't count. (laughs) And I haven't found that balance. So I think that comes down to a lot of it comes down to people's personalities and the pastor's personality. And I think the critical thing, um, you know, I, I think God allows for all those things. He obviously made those people sure. the way he made them, right? He made sure. you the way he made you. He made me the way he made me. Um, I think uh, in leadership though, and, and particularly in a church, if the pastor is able to recognize, you know, whatever they're, whatever they're really good at, there's going to be other things they're not really good at. 
And so I think that's the important part of making sure that you're building up other people around you that within the local church that are good at those things, uh, the things that you're not good at. And they start to fulfill those roles within the church. Because, I mean, as we see in the Bible, you know, every member has an important function. And, yeah. um, you know, we need to make sure we're utilizing all those. You know, we, God's given us all the, all the pieces that we need. We just need to make sure that those pieces are being utilized well within our, you know, local church that we have. And I think too many times we're just relying on just the pastor to fulfill all of those different components and not all the different people that are within the church that are there, you know, that God has provided for us. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we just put such a heavy focus on the fact that we're paying somebody as though somehow their role is now more important because we're giving them money. And right. um, I think that's one of the big problems that we tend to have. You know, you almost want to say, boy, it'd just be better if pastors weren't paid at all. But I'm not sure that would even work within our culture at all. Um, but it's uh, and, and certainly pastors are, you know, uh, uh, based on what the Bible tells us should uh, and can be paid. They don't necessarily have to be paid, but it, it causes some sort of heavy focus on the pastor. And then everybody else has a lower responsibility because they're not paid. Uh, right. But their responsibilities are just as high as the pastor's responsibilities in many, many areas, but potentially in different areas and different roles. Um, but they're just as important. There's a, a nuance and a, a hue and a shade to this perspective that I heard from Clarence Sexton. He told his people, you don't pay me to pastor you. You pay me so I can pastor you. <laughs> and that's a very interesting twist. It's, it's, I think, communicating what you're trying to say there. Uh, or what you're saying precisely. Um, how much of this do we have to consider with just the sin nature of, well, if we only do the things we like to do, or we only do the things we want to do, is that just an excuse, you know, for, in other words, I could say, well, I'm good at this, or I'm better at this than I am at that. So I'll, I'll, sh I'll, shovel that off to somebody else and I'll do this, but it could just be that I'm being lazy. Now I don't believe I'm being lazy, but it could just be in that category. I just don't want to do the hard work. You know, that, yeah. that was, that's not a feeling. So I'll give that to somebody else to do, you know, how do we balance that? I I've noticed that within myself. I mean, like uh, for me as a pastor, like my uh, philosophy or how I understand the teachings of first Timothy and second Timothy about, uh, you know, preach the word, the instant yeah. in season, right. you know, out of season. And, and so like very much for me as a pastor, preaching is a very, very strong emphasis hmm. and expository preaching in general. But if I'm going to be an expository preacher, that takes time. Sure. Uh, brother David, I mean, you've, you've went through the whole Bible, I believe, and in, in, uh, when you were doing your blog that you were telling me about where you did a chapter every day or a section every day over a year. And, yeah. um, but like, say, for example, if you're going to go through the book of Ezekiel and preach it on uh, Sunday evenings, I mean, get ready to be studying hours and hours and hours as you go through like the millennial temple and the sacrifices and all those kind of things. And it makes that seem like a, such a priority, but it takes that level of, of work. Yeah. I, I guess kind of what I what I'm saying is is like having a a shared emphasis in the church. Like, uh, do the people themselves feel like the word of God is elevated to that point, 
that we are, that it's, it's, that's what we're focusing on. But I can, I can easily say, yeah, because I'm studying the word of God, I don't have time to go out and evangelize like I'm right. also called to do. Yeah. And it can be spiritual laziness that I've justified. Yeah. Do the work of the evangelist. Yeah. I remember when it's I became, a- yeah, when I became pastor, uh, I was reared in a door knocking culture. Right. Um, and so I was out, you know, and I, I invited the church to do it, but not many were involved. I mean, we're talking, you know, at the most we might have had five was the most we ever had door to door soul winning. We sure. did that for like three and a half years. I never saw anybody saved. Not saying it doesn't work, but I never saw sure. anybody saved, nor did I have anybody actually come to church from that ministry. Now, maybe I'm just really bad at it. I don't know. But it's easy then to say, well, that ain't working. And I don't like doing it anyway, so I'm just going to do something else. Well, maybe the emphasis should be placed somewhere else. I'm not saying it shouldn't, but that doesn't mean we forsake a particular area of ministry just because it doesn't seem to be producing fruit. Uh, Because we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And if they're not going to come to the church, I got to go to them somehow or another. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's got to be a balance. And since then we've done some door knocking that was very successful. I mean, highly successful, unbelievably successful uh, in, in more recent years. Um, well, but go ahead. Let me, let me just say from a, a practical standpoint, um, you know, let, let's think about, you know, I come from business. So on a business standpoint, when I would hire someone, I wasn't paying them to do things they weren't good at. I was paying them to do the things they were good at. Right. I didn't want them doing the things that they weren't good at. I, they could find someone else to hire to do the things they're not good at um, because it's just a waste of time in general. It's not efficient. It doesn't get things accomplished. It's not about laziness. One of the things we always talked about was don't ever do something that someone else is capable of doing. Right. You know, when you're in a position of leadership, your time is very, very limited. So why in the world would you be doing something when someone else is able to do those same things? And it's not about laziness. I think actually it could be considered laziness by not raising up the other people to do the things that other folks are capable of doing. Because that many times takes more initial time Mm -hmm. to put in the effort to train them, to build them up. Because if we want to get a lot of things accomplished, you're limited by, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, and you got to sleep probably six to eight hours of that time. Right. And so, you know, unless you're building up other people, you know, and I think Jesus gives us the perfect example, you know, he, and, and as we see, we're discipling other people, we're raising other people up to go out and accomplish God's work. Uh, and I think if we're not doing those things, then that is where the laziness comes in. You know, yeah. if we're trying to just do it all ourselves. Well, we're never going to be able to do it all ourselves. And God doesn't want us to do it all ourselves, right? That's why he's put all these other people in our life and in the church Uh, to accomplish and go out and do those great things for him. You have set me free. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) No, that, that's very, very good perspective. Very wise. And I I deeply appreciate that. We're we're about almost out of time here, but um, I want to conclude with this uh, perspective. There, there are extremes, right? This is part of being in a fallen world. There are extremes on this issue. There are people who think, I never sleep. All I do is pray and visit and study and preach and never, never rest. I don't have time for anything because I just work all the time. 
There are people who think that's my life. There are people who have a good balanced perspective. And this seems to be the bulk of my congregation. They have an appreciation for the call. Um, they, they're grateful for, you know, preaching of the word. They're grateful for personal interaction. They're doing their part, probably more than their part. There's a lot of people in that category. It's actually a small sliver of people who I don't despise them, but I recognize that their expectations, Jared, are not reasonable. Sure. They're not, yeah. they're not fair. They're not, certainly they're not biblical, but I allow that small group to weigh heavily on my spirit. And I, I struggle with serious anxiety, physical pain in my chest as a result of the fear of letting somebody down who I am called to pastor. And, and I believe I'm called to pastor no matter how spiritually strong or weak they are. If God's brought them to me and I'm called to pastor them and do my best, but I'm, I'm just confessing that's a, that's a real struggle to me, but I really want what I'm trying to do is reassure the Christians that I'm familiar with. Most of them are not a problem, at least for me, most of them are nothing but a blessing. Uh, but that, that small minority that is vocal, it, it personally it really eats at me. And I'm not always sure what to do about it. I, I tell you what, that struggle is something that I can uh, relate to. Um, just it, I guess, like just that fear of, of man, of yeah. maybe a, a vocal person having a different expectation than what my emphasis is or something like that. And, uh, but you may end up, you know, trying to appease that person just to avoid what could be said or your name being run down or, or whatever. And, uh, and it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. How do you balance, how do you balance that tension of expectations and so forth? Because it just kind of seems like you could, uh, uh, pour your heart out into studying a message that you feel was really needed. And then someone might say, well, where were you on Friday night at the ball game? You didn't show up or something right. you know, like that. Right. And, uh, and it seems like regardless of who we are as a pastor, we're going to have that issue at some point where we weren't, where we were expected to be or needed to be, or, yeah. and I don't know the answer. Definitely. Our message to our people should be, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for those who are serving and those who, who are obviously full of gratitude and who are, pursuing Christ, uh, as we're inviting them to do, we want to say, we see it and we appreciate and are grateful for how you are following God. And for those who are dissatisfied with their, with their pastor's leadership style or emphasis or whatever, I think our message would be pray for us. We want to do it right. Pray that God would give us wisdom, that he would give us strength, that he would give us the tools we need to feed the flock well, because we don't want to abuse the sheep. We don't want, no matter whether the sheep is a black sheep or a white sheep, you know, yeah. cooperative or uncooperative, we want to shepherd well. And, and that's my heart. And I, I assume that that's, you know, the heart of you men as well. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Pastor Jared Mitchell. Sure. Our beloved apostle, Patrick Reed, <laughs> for spending time with me today. Thanks to our listeners for listening to Grace or Grit. Perhaps there was a little more grit than normal in our discussion today. I certainly pray for God's richest blessings 
on both you gentlemen and on all our listeners as we strive to serve the Lord continually together. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thank you.